plastic pollution, deforestation, global warming. Sometimes it feels like there's just nothing we can do as individuals about our environmental crisis. But at the Oath Project, we believe that small acts, when done collectively, can create massive impacts. That's why we created this podcast, to share the stories of the individuals who are doing just that, one act at a time, to help the Earth. And hey, who knows, maybe after this episode, you'll be inspired to, as we call it, hashtag take the oath and commit to doing just one act at a time. Now on with the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of One Act at a Time, Stories of Change. My name is Shatayak, I'm going to be your host today. Before we begin, I just want to acknowledge that I'm speaking to you from the unceded and ancestral territories of the Mi'kmaq peoples here in Chibuktuk Mi'kma'ki, which is more colonially known as Halifax, Nova Scotia. And also with that, I'd like to welcome my co-host for this episode today, which is my good friend and fellow old board member, Alex, who is back after quite a few episodes. Hi, everyone. Super excited to be back and to be chatting with Anaya today. Thank you, Alex, and I'm so excited to be joined by Anaya today as well. So a little bit of an introduction. Anaya is a youth aged just 15 who truly is changing the world. Among many other incredible projects, she's lead organizer of Youth vs. Apocalypse, which is a climate activism group that brings together young people in the Bay Area to uplift the voices of people of color and stand up for environmental justice. In this role, Anaya has advocated to government, mobilized peers, organized climate strikes, and so much more, including one that actually reached an estimated 20 to 40,000 people in the Bay Area uh, last year. As well, she brings an invaluable perspective in exploring the intersectionality of environmentalism, social justice, youth advocacy, and so much more. I was actually chatting with her just uh, before the podcast here around her interest in poetry and actually one line at a time uh, that uh, tagline we've got for uh, our podcast today is inspired by how poetry has for Anaya being a mechanism for activism and expression as well. So Anaya, I just want to thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to get to talk to you. And to start us off, I just want to ask you, um, you know, you've done so many incredible things in Youth vs. Apocalypse, you know, just advocating for social justice in so many different settings um, and just so much beyond. But uh, before we get into all that, I'd just love to know, apart from the work you do, who is Anaya? What's your story? How did you get here? Yeah, so, um, hi, again, my name is Anaya Butler, I'm 15. Um, I'm from Oakland, California, and yeah, it's like a hard question just to like say who I am because the majority of my life I've been an activist and like my life, yeah, for like over half of it now. So it's hard to just sort of like explain who I am outside of that. Overall, I'm an artist, um, I'm a spoken word poet, I'm a student, I really enjoy learning. Um, I'm a kid who likes to hang out with friends and do stuff like that. Um, yeah, but like I said, the majority of my life has been my activism and my projects and my poetry, so it's hard to like sort of describe why I'm outside of that, which is pretty sad, but um, it just shows how serious everything is got so many amazing things in your story there Anaya. and i think one of the things i'd love to pick up on is uh the poetry side i mean actually it's one of the things we we're chatting about right before you podcast and you talked about how poetry is being such an important um space for expression uh, activism uh, really such a key part of your journey so can you share a little bit about what poetry is meant for you yeah um i've been writing poetry since i was eight years old and performing spoken words since I was 10. Poetry has always been an outlet for me to express my feelings about what I was going through, but also just like what I was witnessing and experiencing in this country. 
along with the rest of my community. Um, and so that was just always there for me. And after I started to like get more into it, my mom sort of like, she didn't, it was like a gentle, it wasn't a gentle push, but I appreciate the push now, but she's like, she pushed me into performing at this um, oratorical festival that we have for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. every year here in Oakland for early this um, And after I competed and um, won a contest along with other amazing poets, I sort of like, I don't know, I feel like my poetry was decent, so I continued to write it, um, but sort of focus it more about the community and specifically about the black community and um, challenges that we face. And so after that, I joined this program, Chapter 5.0, which is so amazing. It's a writing and publishing center for youth in Oakland. And from there, I just like went on. Um, I continued to write, I continued to like moderate panels um, and then eventually learned how to provide space for youth to write. So like writing workshops. So. Overall, um, to put it in the short note, poetry is the reason why I do the work that I do. And it's like, it allows me to do the work that I do. Um, and I would not be here without it. I'd actually be curious, you know, if you're comfortable sharing just about that experience that you've had living in these states. We're living at a time where you know, climate change is a massive crisis, but you're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, so many kind of unresolved issues there for centuries that they're impacting the world over, but in particular, the United States. And how has that lived experience informed the rest of your journey and your work? So like, just growing up as a black girl in an underserved community in Oakland, specifically East Oakland, I witnessed a lot of things, you know, within internally in the community, but also just factors degrading us and sort of keeping us down. Um, and so like just seeing that and also like seeing people experience it and in a way experiencing it myself, it pushed me to do something productive because I always feel like there's this expectation from, you know, kids from the hood to go down one route, which is not the best. And I did not want to do that. And I wanted to be a role model for other people who, you know, believe they can't make a change, who believe they can't defy those expectations to do it. Um, and to know that they have like, they have a decision and they can choose, they can choose to sort of fight against that and to fight against systemic racism um, and to really fight for their lives. And so I was not like, climate justice is not on my radar until I joined YVA at all, just because I felt like it was a thing that did not connect to me because I did not see like the direct connections to it. And I don't know, I just feel like it mattered to me because I feel like, you know, it was a really whitewashed movement and it was, you know, something you needed privilege to have or to be a part of. And so because of that, I was never really part of it. But after I joined YVA and started to learn more about intersectionality, I learned that there is no climate justice without abolishing the police and abolishing ICE and et cetera. And I learned that, you know, the things that are fighting the climate crisis are the same thing that is allowing police to continue to kill and criminalize black and brown youth and black and brown people in general. And so I just, after I just learned about the roots of all of these oppressive systems and, you know, how they started and then what they created, I just learned that this is a movement for collective liberation and for life overall. So yeah, and I try to express that through my poetry, but also through my organizing work.
reminds me of a conversation which we had with Nobisa, who was uh, another one for board members based out of South Africa. And then we were having a conversation the other day around this exact kind of question of you know, environmentalism. It can seem sometimes like, hey, it's, uh, it's a far off problem uh, when you're dealing with so many other pressing matters. Um, so I guess my question to you, Anaya, there is uh, how does uh, the environmental movement connect with social justice? Uh, you know, connect with economic, you know, systems that we've got, uh, you know, just connect with this broader, all of these systemic issues that, you know, you've uh, hinted on there. It's this developer who's trying to build a coal terminal throughout West Oakland, which has historically always been, or not always been, but has forced to be um, a community that is underserved and that faces a lot of environmental racism. It's also a community predominantly made of people of color, specifically black and brown people, and low income, and low income black and brown people. Um, so it's just really a group, a community full of people who are underserved and who are looked down upon in the country. And so when you try to build a coal terminal through a community that is already facing systems of oppression, it's like, it's gonna have a detrimental effect on them. And so the intersectionality between that is, you know, the coal terminal will cause pollution and that community is already having outstanding rates of high pollution. And so now these low income black and brown people who are, you know, who are black and brown, who don't have, you know, as much wealth are now having respiratory diseases like asthma and cancer, lung cancer um and stuff like that and so now they're facing that and then at that the majority of these communities do not have accessibility to healthcare, and so now they're sort of getting years of their lives cut off because of pollution because of the community they're in because you know of their race all because of these systems of oppression that do not allow these groups to survive and to really thrive um, so I think that's an example that came up with just like, I feel like that includes everything in terms of like health, race, uh, socioeconomic status, and then also accessibility. Um, and I think another one that I think a lot of people think about is what happened with Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, the army was sent down to people who are fighting for their lives and were criminalized um, and were abused because, you know, they were supposedly looting, but they were trying to fight for their lives. They were trying to survive. They were trying to help their children. And so I think when we look at that, and then, you know, with the climate effects, Hurricane Katrina was, you know, one of the, hurt, the worst hurricanes so far. And so it's like, that has gotten to that point because of the climate crisis, because of the stuff that we're doing, natural disasters like hurricanes are becoming more frequent and becoming more intense, like those in Hurricane Katrina, and also impacting the most of you know black and brown people who were those who got impacted the most and who were the ones who got criminalized by the army who we fund trillions of dollars into um along with the police so so i thought it was confusing because sometimes it can if you're just hearing it but um if you like want to find more information i recommend going to our website ethersofapocalypse.org where you can really see a visual of how all of these things intersect with each other thank you for sharing that experience and uh a bit of your perspective on what drives some of your passions. And while you were chatting, I kind of, 
I Googled some of the places you were talking about, like East, well, just different places in Oakland. And just looking at even just Google images, you can see how it's portrayed. Um, but lots of oppression against black and brown people. It looks like lots of photos of police, lots of photos of protests. Um, so yeah, I just want to say thank you for sharing that. Now, talking a bit about some of that stuff that drives your passion, I'm curious to know a little bit more specifically um, about your your pathway to activism and kind of how it led you to YVA, um, Youth Versus Apocalypse. Can you talk a little bit more about like how old were you when you really got involved in youth activism um, and how that really led down the path of working with YVA? Yeah, um, so before I get into that, I think it's important. Um, I'm an activist and an organizer, and I think the main difference is, I guess, like, an activist is a person who, like, goes to, you know, actions and sort of, like, is an advocate for stuff and does stuff like that. And an organizer is the person who's organizing this stuff, who was, you know, trying to help create those, who was, you know, doing organizing work. So I just wanted to make that clear because I think it has to do with my answer. But... I've identified as an activist since I was 11 because that's when I really start to zero in with my poetry about the black community and just what being black in America means and what that means to me, especially growing up in Oakland. Um, and so my, my poetry was my form of activism and I started to like get more into sort of like going to actions and stuff like that around like 12 or 13. And then when I was 13 years old, I joined YVA. Um, the story is like, it's not confusing, it's just kind of weird because <laughs> they were having a meeting planning the strike that had 20,000 to 40,000 people. Um, actually right around this time, so it's probably like my two year anniversary of YVA. But um, I went there and because my mom worked at the school and she was like, it's a group of youth talking about this climate strike, you should come down because she knew that I was interested or I wanted to learn more about the climate justice movement. And so then I went there and then, of course, my mom talks a lot. So she was telling them how I was like um, a poet and I had a book and stuff like that. And so they were also interested in like learning more about that. And so from there, we just connected and I continued to go to the action planning meetings. I continued to go to the actions. And that's how I really got involved with YVA. And in terms of my like drive for it, it was just like this intersectional analysis of these two things and not viewing them, as, um, viewing them as separate, but more so connected. Um, and so that's like really my drive because the climate justice movement is a movement where I can fight for everything because everything has to do with it. Awesome, thank you for that answer. And yeah, I very, very much agree. Um, especially, I'm really glad to see that young people are looking more into intersectionality and the different all the different issues that intersect together that can create a more effective solution. Um, now, going back to what you were just talking about, helping to organize a protest with 20 to 40,000 young people, I, obviously that takes the effort of a team, um, but you had a part in that. And I'm curious, what do you think it takes to rally people, especially so many young people together for a specific cause like this? I think it's really the dedication of the youth that we're trying to organize. I feel like, you know, part of YVA is providing space for youth to fight. It's not really like being their voice, but it's allowing them to have one 
And because, you know, the youth that we're trying to mobilize are youth who were shut out from conversations, who are deprived from the chance to talk and to speak their mind. And so I think that with these large actions, it was really the youth that we're asking to come. Like, we, of course, did, you know, a lot of work to get them out there and to provide them the, the, the resources and accessibility to get there. But you have a decision of whether you want to come to an action or not and to talk about an action or not and to do whatever you do after that. And so I think it just really requires the organizers to let people know that this is your future. And this is the one time in history where we can really rebuild a world that we want to live in and that, you know, that allows everyone to be free, you know? So I think it's one thing for the organizers, but I also think it's a really big thing for youth who are coming because like we can have all these you know strategies to get people out there but then one person might come and so i always think about that as an organizer like we're always trying to come up with ways to get people there which is really important but at the end of the day it's the decision of the youth and i think knowing that it's our future and knowing that most of those youth have been facing this already and will only get worse is a huge you know motivator to you know come to these type of actions i think maybe just to follow on that anaya i'm uh, i guess uh, i'm curious do you feel that governments hurt you do you feel that corporations uh you know others in the system do you feel that you were heard and I guess a follow-up from that you know what message would you like to send uh these different stakeholders in terms of what needs to happen you know we've got a uh, cop uh, i think cop 26 coming up and the climate change conference in the United Nations, what message do world leaders need to hear like, from youth in terms of what needs to happen with climate change, with social justice, environmental justice, and all these other uh, host of issues? Yeah, I think um, in terms of like whether I feel heard, I think I do. Um, I try and think about that a lot because like, I feel like it's one thing to be heard, but then also just to be like listened to or to like actually take what I'm saying and put it in your mind and like follow through on it. Um, but I think I'm being heard. I think, like I said, I don't try to think about that a lot, but I think I'm being heard by these power holders, but also by youth. And my main thing is to encourage youth because it's like at this point, we need as many people as possible. And then with COP26 coming up, for the leaders who will be there, this is your future too. You're trying to lead a perfect country, nation, whatever you're doing, for what? If there's not going to be an earth for us to live in because of your decisions to continue to choose profit over life, at that profit over the lives of people who are already facing the effects of the climate crisis, along with other effects of the other oppressive systems that this country and really this world has been founded on. And so... I think it's like, you have a decision to make. Do you want to be responsible for the loss of lives internationally because of money that will no longer be here, that will no longer matter if we are not here? And that this is, you know, this is like really the time to do something about it because, you know, we only have a certain amount of years until some of this stuff is irreversible. And some of it already is, some of it will never go back. The damage to the oceans will never go back. The droughts will, you know, the land that they're in will never go back to how it was. 
but it will get worse if action is not taken and you know people youth adults groups we have told y'all what what y'all need to do we have told y'all we have given you plans we have given you bills legislation etc what y'all need to do is approve that and to implement it as soon as possible because lives will continue to be lost if action is not taken now that's honestly like so profound you know like the fact that there's no time like it has to happen now no like delaying it we've had kyoto we've had paris and you know we can't be like this can't just be another one of those where we, where we pass the buck do you feel hope anaya or do you feel i guess optimism to pessimism scale like are you feeling hopeful about the future or, or, or is there a little bit of i don't know like i know i often feel anxious about the whole situations i, I guess yeah how are you feeling these questions are always hard to answer i think because for me like if you ask a family member they'll probably say like i'm a negative person in terms of thinking of the future or like i always see like the, the cup half empty instead of half full so but i think this movement has sort of changed that for me because if i'm not in a way positive my work will not be as productive and not be effective and it's not helping the movement at all. And so I think in terms of hope, I, I do have it. And it's because of the youth that come to these actions. It's because of the people that I work with and because of people like y'all who are allowing this to be heard. Yeah, I, I'll say I have hope, but I'm not gonna lie. I do feel I have major anxiety about what's happening right now in the world in general, but also like what the future is like. I'm also a person who like thinks deep into the future a lot just about everything and once i learned more about climate change that was like one of my top three things on the list that i'm always thinking about for the future so just thinking about that and you know is very like anxious especially like for a high school student who already has to deal with <laughs> a lot of other responsibilities so yeah um but i just use that as you know motivation to keep going and to let others know that they're not alone if they do feel, you know, anxious about it. And that's okay not to always be positive and not to always have hope that, you know, I think there's like this is idea that all like people, especially organizers, have to have this idea. It's like, yes, we're going to save the world. Yes, we're going to do all this stuff. And it's like, yes, we are, but we're also people. And part of, you know, the reason why we're fighting for this movement is because of, you know, the anxiety and depression we have around the issue. So I think it's also okay for you to um, feel that way if you want to. Yeah, honestly, thanks for giving us permission to sometimes, yeah, feel feel down, right? And I think it's it's natural. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be hopeful. It's just there's also a mix, right? It's it's you know we're humans, you know. Yeah, it's it's complicated. So Naya, yeah, thanks for sharing all that. I have one other question for you. Um, I know we've been talking quite a bit about some of the work you've been doing with YVA and how you got involved in that kind of stuff. Is there anything you're currently doing either with YVA or outside of that? Um, any work at all that you would kind of like to highlight for the audience for maybe people should be checking out or keeping a pulse on? Um, anything you'd like people to know about? Yes. Um, so YVA is doing consistent actions every Friday. Um, next Friday is actually Global Climate Strike Day, so we'll be having an action in San Francisco, starting at Embarcadero Plaza for that, which I'm very excited about. And then every week after that, we'll be like doing consistent actions. So please like follow our social media 
at Ethos's Apocalypse, and for our Twitter is like y underscore vs underscore ig, and then our Facebook is also at Ethos's Apocalypse along with our Instagram. If TikTok, please follow us on TikTok. So yeah, that's like one of the main things that we're doing right now, along with like our campaigns that you can find about on the website ethosesapocalypse.org. Personally, the work that I'm doing within YVA. Um, I'm doing a lot around the consistent actions, but I'm also the hip hop and climate justice initiative coordinator. Um, on August 5th, we released our third music video and song, Where's the Money At? So y'all can stream that on streaming platforms, Spotify, iTunes, etc. Um, you can listen to that song. And then also on our YouTube, you can find our music video, Where's the Money At? Our YouTube is Youth vs. Apocalypse. Um, and on those streaming platforms on YouTube, you can find our two other songs and music videos no one is disposable and this is the time i think that sounds so cool and please you know whenever you guys do have those videos out you know please share it and uh, you know we'll uh we'll put out our, our social media our stories if you guys want uh a little bit of uh, outreach that way yeah thank you anaya for organizing all that and it's uh, super cool to just hear about all these incredible things you guys uh you folks have on the go here thank you so much yeah i'll share some of the links but um yeah thank you so much for this it was so cool Guess just to end off, you know, do you have any last messages you want to share to our audience here? Get involved in the climate justice movement and any way possible. Um, and going to access is great, but what you do after that also matters. So making sure to stay involved. It's been such a pleasure connecting. Thank you for all you do, for all Youth vs. Apocalypse does, but also beyond that, just the amazing work you do, your poetry, social justice activism, just the amazing work you're doing on so many different fronts. You know, really excited to kind of, kind of continue to follow your story, and thank you again for making time to chat with us today. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of One Act at a Time, Stories of Change. We would love to hear your thoughts on Instagram or Facebook at Take the Oath. And to learn more about the Oath Project or to nominate someone for this podcast, visit oneactatatime.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and share it with your community so that we can inspire more people to hashtag Take the Oath. That's it from us, and we will see you on the next episode.